It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Got it! Crowd cheers. Here's Siddle. He's got it! Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Two Slips in a Gully. It is our, uh, I guess you say our Australia Day edition. Uh, we're recording this one just the day after Australia Day, so we've had all of our cricket festivities, our Big Bash triple header, uh, and uh, that's going to be the theme of our episode. We've got a very Big Bash heavy episode today. Joining me for this episode is Captain Gary. Hey mate, how are you? I am excellent. Um, I'm dreading having to go back to work for the first time tomorrow, but uh, I've enjoyed my holidays <laughs> thus far. Uh, unfortunately, there's no Glenn today. He has uh, he's got a birthday party to go to, I believe. So yeah. um, it's just the two of us. Uh, just the two, two of us. <laughs> As we said, uh, we've got a very big bash heavy episode. We're going to go through um, what's gone on so far. We're just about set for the finals, so the final round of the head to heads has just happened. Uh, we'll go through how our super coach sides have gone and what pitfalls have uh, gotten our way. Um, and we'll also have a crack at what we think our team of the tournament is. Um, other than that, too, Cricket Australia has brought out the squads for the T20 and Test sides, so we'll have a bit of a look at those. And uh, Gary has actually found he's not quite local, but he no. certainly is a cricket hero. So uh, a little bit of a change up to our local cricket hero segment, but we're definitely going to bring that guy in and have a chat about him towards the back end of the episode. So all of that is coming up in our Australia Day extravaganza. Here we go. Ryan Harris. Oh, straight away! He's crashed into the stumps! England have lost their first wicket with the first ball of the innings. Australia Day brought about a triple header to finish the Big Bash season and it's been one hell of a season so that triple header has got everything all sorted so we are set for the finals that uh, will probably be starting not long after you've heard this I'd say this will be coming out later this week um, it's 
kicks off with the Eliminator because the Big Bash needed to put ridiculous labels on everything. Oh, so uh, the final series have got just the cutest names. There is the Eliminator between the Brisbane Heat and the Adelaide Strikers. They're the teams that finished at the bottom of the qualifiers. So the, that team, whoever loses that, will be out. Yep. Um, there is the Qualifier on Saturday, which is the battle between first and second. So the winner of that side will go straight through uh, to the... What is it called? I think it is the... To the final. They go straight to the final. That is the Sixers and the Scorchers. Yeah. Um, who had a fantastic mid-season resurgence. The move out west to Perth and the inclusion of their imports, Jason Roy and Liam Livingston, breathes new life into that side. Uh, there is the knockout. So that is the Sydney Thunder versus the winner of the Heat or the Strikers. Um and then there is the challenger. So the loser out of sixes and scorches will play the winner of the thunder versus the winner out of the heat and strikers. Yeah. Are you following? Have I lost you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm well aware. I don't know how anyone else copes. Um, we've actually talked about it out of sight of the podcast quite a number of times. The only reason that it's this complicated is so they could drag this season out even longer. I still don't know why it's top in an eight-team competition, why five teams go through. It should be just first versus fourth, second versus third. It's Winners to, go through to the final. Yeah, it's to give the the, the top, for finishing the top, you, you get a, another bite of the cherry, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they always say when you go into those ones that finals are a different ball game. I think that finishing, you know, playing a home semi-final should normally be enough. But I suppose we are living in a, a different time with COVID that now home semi-finals might not be going to happen, especially for the, the Sixers. So, um, yeah. It's, that's it. Those are the finals. We've got five more Big Bash games to get through, and then the uh, epic slog comes to an end. You thought uh, Test Cricket dragged on. I didn't. <laughs> My wife did. <laughs> um, so what do you think of the Big Bash? What are, what are your thoughts on the Big Bash? Um, it's been a great season. A lot, a lot of really good results. A lot of interesting results from interesting players, actually. Some of the new players that have come through this year. Um, yeah, just... Unbelievable! Absolutely. Um, I typically, over the years gone by, have primarily watched the Big Bash for my Supercoach side. There, I could take or leave the competition. If I wasn't playing Supercoach, probably would only watch maybe two-thirds of the season just because it was on, essentially. But this season's actually had some really exciting and thrilling cricket. Lots of really close finishes. Um, a few upsets along the way. Unfortunately for the poor Renegades, they were the butt of most people's jokes. They just could not fire all season. Um, came a, a distant last. But on the whole of that, there was um, you know some really close finishes. The Heat struggled early, came back strong. The Scorchers struggled early. Um, and like we said, the trip out to Perth and their new imports got them back into the game. And they actually finished right near the top. So it's been a really topsy-turvy tournament. The Thunder were started strong. Um faded towards the middle and finished with a bit of a bang. Uh, the Stars, who had a really loaded lineup, um, missed out. I mean, that was on the back of a few of their players missing a lot of games through injury. But yeah. still, it was a bit of a shock to see a, a team that has uh, Maxwell, Nicholas Poor, and Nathan Coulter Nile, um, you know, Zampa and Co. missing the tournament. Um, yeah, overall, I think it's been a fantastic spectacle. Uh, I know Channel 7 was out there with its 
you know, hat out begging for more money because yeah. you know the the quality of the tournament was going to be compromised because it of COVID. Wasn't, no, no it's, it was, it's been one of the best tournaments I've ever watched. Absolutely, absolutely, just a, a really, really good gripping tournament. Who's your Who's your favourite player out of the? The, the favourite find out of the tournament? Oh, I don't know about... Favourite find would definitely be Tanvir Sanger. Uh, like, I probably agree with you there. However, mine would be Peter Hatzaglu. Hatzaglu, yeah. The... Well, he he was playing third grade cricket like a couple of years ago, and now he's playing Big Bash. Yeah, he, he certainly ha- had a bit of a cult following coming oh, uh, through I'm, from that. I'm loving that guy. Um, no, I, I'm a big fan of Tanvir Sanger. I'm... Actually, a little disappointed. We'll get to it a little bit later on, but I'm disappointed that they've released the squads this early because um, it's going to make it seem like that we're just copying off uh, off the off the actual announcement. But I actually called for TNV Sanger to be included in the uh, T20 squad um, late last week. Um, I thought it, he has to go, and he's just been looking fantastic. Um, and now it's going to come out and go, he did not. you just copying what they said. Yeah. But no, I think it's, Sang has been phenomenal. Um, guys like uh, Ben McDermott um, having a great tournament, really throwing himself back into the uh, international picture. Jai Richardson coming back from an injury. Uh, it's not really fine, but he's played really well. Yeah. Uh, Jack Wildermuth, who's sort of come from nowhere uh, up until the Australia A game against India, and then he came back and had a really, really strong tournament, especially with the ball. Probably didn't quite have the impact he would have liked with the bat, but um, certainly with the ball, he looked very good. Um, yeah, there's... Bas- Baisley from the Heat. Yeah, Baisley from the Heat. I liked him. Um, I don't know of anyone else that sort of... None that have really sprung no. out and gone coming... From, lots of young players coming through that are looking the goods, but I think those are the, the pick of the bunch of the yeah. so the, the guys that have, have come through. Uh, some downsides? Really needs DRS next year in some capacity. Or a decent umpire. The umpiring... And, this- and it's, not, it's not even this year. It has been all through the existence of the tournament. The umpiring and the big bash... Is woeful. It, it, it kind of cleaned up towards the end of the tournament, but at the start of it, they were. I think our standards just dead dropped. Set howlers. Um, like honestly, it was like playing grade cricket here, where you've got to go and umpire your own teammates. The standard I, I, was about. I actually that high. think it was quite worse. It was worse. Yeah, there were just some absolutely atrocious calls. In some capacity, the BBL needs to incorporate. DRS, and I know they they announced halfway through the year that they were talking about that. They're worried, of course, about having you know DRS and reviews and things like that slowing the game down, which wow. I think is a ridiculous thing to be worried about when you're having breaks every ten overs in a forty over game. Yeah, you're kind of defeating the purpose of playing a twenty twenty match. But honestly, I think you could go for some middle ground if you just give the third umpire access to slow motion replay and then the blue tram lines that you use to just whether the ball's pitched in line and go with that because a lot of the ones that they're missing is you know giving people out lbw when there's a massive inside edge um you know or pitching well outside leg and it's then calling things like just really rudimentary um mistakes that just just a, just looking at it again, you'd fix. So I don't think you need to have Schnicko and Hotspot and Hawkeye and all that sort of stuff. I honestly think, and I think the players that even get on board with it too, is this is what we're going to do. We're just going to have um, it's all decisions will go to the third umpire. Anything you want to review, you give them one unsuccessful review. 
Yeah. Um, all decisions go to the third umpire. Don't worry about umpire's call because that's just rubbish anyway. You let the third umpire <laughs> go and have a look at it and go, here's my slow motion replay. I've got the blue lines. So have a look in case it's of an LBW. And you just watch... Where, you know, you're just watching that same camera angle slow down. You can look at it and go, well, that's clearly hitting uh, outside the line. See, I understand. And then you just make that judgment from there going, no, nah, from what I'm looking at, that looks like an LBW. Because most of the time, all you really want, the ones that they're missing out on, is the LBWs where they've hit it. They've obviously hit it. When you've yeah, got a slow motion replay, you can see that they've hit it. Well, there was one the other day that you got given out, and he actually had come off the face of the bat, went down to fine leg, and he was given out LBW. Yeah. That was. There's just a, and that again, you don't need schnicker or hotspot or ball tracking for that. You just look at that on replay, and it's super obvious. And it's not even like if he just walks off at a bit of a trudge, you would be able to get the right decision before he's got to the boundary. So it's not even like yeah. that's taking up a whole lot of time. So I think I think that's a fair compromise. If you went to the players and said, "This is the package that we're willing to give you because we want the game to be quick. We don't want to have to have." too many cogs turning and worrying about if DRS is working properly, it's yeah. just going to be this. I think the players will be fine because they know that if it's going to be a massive inside edge, which is some of the ones that they're missing, that's going to get caught. Or if it's pitched a foot outside leg or it's hit them above the pads and they've got given out LBW, they're going to know, well, you're going to look at that and you're obviously going to see that that's not hitting the stumps. So, something's better than nothing. Yeah, and I think that's a, I think that's a fair compromise. You give players that, I think they'll be happy. Um, fans will be happy because they're getting close to the right decisions. And then honestly, if the third umpire can take five or six looks at it, and it's you can't kind of you can't tell if the balls hit the outside edge of the bat, then it's not really a howler. Yeah. And I think that's probably and it'll stop people using it frivolously if they're not going to get ball tracking to go, oh, maybe it's still coming down to a judgment call from that third umpire. Yeah, Um, yeah, and like I said, don't bother with DRS. I mean, with um, umpire's call, you just send it up. You've got all your camera angles here. Tell me what you think, Mr. Third Umpire, is the right decision. And it goes down as that. Um, Another thing, I think we've we've joked about it, but the season's gone way too long. Yeah, it's it's probably two weeks too long. As as you know, I reckon two weeks is too long. Two two weeks. It's been two weeks too long. Mm. I also mm. think maybe something they could do to change it up is something that most of the codes in Australia do very well is make their fans miss the game. In a sense, all the football codes when are they played? Yeah, it's every weekend, basically. So I think that there's probably enough time that if you stack them so your Saturday and Sundays are double-headers, um, and then you have a game on Thursday, Friday, because you've only needed to cut through... Well, we only need to get through four games in a weekend. There's only eight teams. Yeah. Um, if you stack it up, like, just one each Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, yeah, even even if you had every other day off. And I then... Mean to say. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, once every second day, even that, and you just get it through, and you just... Cause, we're massive cricket nuts, but I'm telling I suppose it doesn't help that we were watching the, the tests at the same time, but I certainly feel that I was getting a little burnt out with the Big Bash towards the end of the season. Yeah. Or definitely towards maybe the, the middle, or the back end of the middle. Because you got a bit excited heading into finals time, yeah. and then it started becoming, you know, who's going to sit where in the ladder. But there were plenty of games in the middle where you're just like, uh, can we just get to the end already? Yeah. I think maybe what... If you do, each team plays each other four times, that's four weeks, it's a month. Yeah. That's a month worth of weekends. And then you have then another weekend, or even two weeks, six weeks. And yeah. you, I reckon you start at Boxing Day. 
have a. I understand why they do it. It's a it's a purely financial. Yeah, thing it's a cash it's, grab, which is like all the people have said they should move the big bash because it ruins our um, ability to play first class cricket, which means we can't look at test plays. It's not going to change. It's a cash cow for Cricket Australia. It's going yep. to stay in the most profitable part of the year, which is the school holidays. But I think if you start the season on Boxing Day, which means you get all of December to have a look at first-class players, and if you don't know what your Test eleven is going to be by Boxing Day, then we're really struggling. <laughs> um, start at Boxing Day, and then you just have... And then you maybe have, like, New Year's Day as well. We have a game New Year's Day, regardless of what day that falls on. And then everything else is just... Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then people get to miss the Big Bash for a few days. And you have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You go through for six weeks, bang, have your finals. Yeah, because it creates... Two home games, two away games. It creates real issues at home when I'm trying to do something, and I can't because the cricket's on. Yeah. (laughs) All the wags out there are just like, yes, do that! Just need days without cricket! Yeah, my wife would agree with you totally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think that's... Overall... It's, it's a good product. This year has been a good product. Um, I know Glenn and myself are a bit sceptical of some of the the new rules they brought in. I think overall the rules have worked okay. I still don't think that we need the substitutes. I think that's one that you can sort of just no. don't worry about that. But the thing that's just most annoying, I think, is just the stupid names that they've given them. The power no. surge and the big bash point. It's a bonus point and a power play period. Like, we don't need... We're not children. We don't need flashy names. I think uh, overall the product they've brought out has been has been a good one. Well, I, I, I actually agree, yeah. Have to agree. Uh, some things that are from the actual cricket perspective that I'm a little worried about, I don't know how you feel, but I've noticed that um, there seems to be a lack of ability for most of our bowlers to execute, especially in the death. There, there's quite a few good ones. Um, some of them are just terrible. Um, and that's the thing with the power surge that they've brought in is that there is two extra death overs because they usually yeah, bowl death, death overs. Then whenever they play the power play, they'll bring their death bowlers on to bowl in those to, to minimise the damage. And, um, yeah, there's just been just a real lack of um, just consistency there. I mean, Nathan Ellis was a, a death overs expert last year and he's done it pretty well this year. Um you know, guys like Ty and Jai Richardson yeah. and, and guys like that, Ben Dwarshus, they've all had goes at it. And they've all, I suppose, the nature of T20 cricket is you're not going to nail it all the time. But I think just what's worrying, because that's one thing that Australia on international level has lacked in this game, is the ability to finish off yeah. innings when, they, especially if they've decided to bowl first. I mean, that hurt us in the Indians in the one day and the T20 series. You know, guys like Ravinder Deja and. Um, yeah, uh, and the guys like that really putting on big totals towards the end is just having guys to execute those those death overs, and uh, and that's one thing the Big Bash isn't really producing is Australian players to do that consistently. Like the only guy, other guy that's consistently done it has been Tom Curran, who didn't play in this tournament. Yeah, uh, and he's not an Aussie, so it doesn't help us. So I think that's one <laughs> thing that concerns me a little bit as an Australian fan is we've got this this tournament and. We'd like to kid ourselves. We think it's the second best T20 tournament in the world, which it's not. But we we want this to be a very a world class T20 franchise tournament, and we're not getting the players to execute T20 skills at that standard, which is a bit worrying. Yeah, yeah. Um, going forward, though, 
the we've got a lot of players in in the Big Bash that play all around the world. Um, and and if if we're not going to pick these players to play T Twenty for Australia, um, what's the point? <laughs> well, that's what I really like about the fact that we've decided to play um, a Test squad and a T Twenty squad at the same time is that we're getting yeah. a look at some of these extra players, which I think is. Uh, is great. Uh, so lots of players you probably wouldn't normally get a go, which we'll go through and we talk about those squads because they'd miss out because they'd have to make room for some of the um, you know the test players that would be yeah. playing all three squads. So this is a really good chance to have a look at some of these guys on the fringes, especially with the T20 World Cup coming up. So you know if there's ever a time for these guys to really stand up and make a name for themselves, it's going to be in this tour of New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, so before we move on, uh, we'll just go through what uh, our team of the tournament is. Um, so Gary and I are thinking mostly alike. Mostly. Uh, I think we've only got one player that we're not really agreeing on. Uh, so we'll go through my side, and then Gary can make his, his change. So the openers, my team of the tournament, Alex Hales and Josh Phillippe. Oh, um, outstanding. Outstanding. The Hale, Hale set the record for the most sixes in a Big Bash tournament. So just indicative of yeah. how well he's been going. Scored an amazing 100 only a couple of nights ago. Done great things for the Sydney Thunder. A really big reason why they're um, as far in the tournament as they are. Josh Phillippe is the other opener. I don't think much more needs to be said. He's the you know pocket rocket dynamo from the from the Sixers. He's also going to keep for me well, for this side. Um, scored heaps of runs at a fantastic strike rate. Probably doesn't have the amount of big scores that he'd like, but he's got lots of sort of you know between thirties and sixties at a really good yeah. strike rate. Really gets your innings off to a bang. Um, did have a 95 early in the tournament. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, Chris Lynn, um, he's been phenomenal since he's come to open the batting for. Oh, since he came back from, from injury, he's just he just hasn't looked like getting out. 420 runs at a phenomenal strike rate. Um, so, definitely going to be in the tournament. Uh, be in the team of the tournament. Ben McDermott's another one. He's floated between sort of opener three and four. He's got couple of 90s in this tournament. hit some of the biggest sixes I think I've seen yeah, yeah. in in Australia. He has been in sublime form. That's coming off a fantastic shield uh, uh, period as well. He's just... Um, in, in a period where Darcy Short has struggled for consistency, Ben McDermott has picked up a lot of slack. You imagine what that team would be like if um, Wade, Short and McDermott were all firing. Oh. Yeah, I don't know what it is. You shudder to think. And, you know, I think Short has really struggled from the fact that he hasn't had to open with Matthew Wade for for the tournament. Because as as soon as as he did it, he was great. He looked good again. So, um, yeah, we've got to pair them two together. Uh, Glenn Maxwell comes in at five. Again, I don't really think there needs to be much to say about this. This is a guy that he is one of the premier T20 players in the world. Can hit the ball anywhere. Can hit the ball as far as he likes. He's great at just manipulating the field. He's going to give you, you know, potentially four overs of good, tight, off-spin bowling, good for a wicket or two. Great in the field. Great, great in captain. the world. Um, and, yes, he would be the captain of my side. Dan Christian, um, you know, he's just like a fine wine. Ugh. Doesn't seem to stop, does he? Um, <laughs> Matt, he's possibly the buy of the tournament as well. You know, the Sixers picked him up um, yeah, I couldn't. and brought him in. Uh, he's bowled some very, very important spells for him. He's hit some just amazing knocks. Had that 50 or 15 balls halfway through the tournament. Um, knows how to finish run chases as well. Yep. He's definitely been one of the picks in the middle order. 
Uh, Daniel Sams is another guy. The um, guy can hit stuff, man. When, I've been waiting for him to unload for years. Yeah, when he gets yeah. his batting right, he just goes to another level. His batting was terrible last year, but he kept his his spot going by being the leading wicket taker. But um, and this time he's actually got his batting going. He had that phenomenal run chase in Canberra against the Heat, where he got the the sixes home in a game where Ricky Ponting said he would the give the, the the sorry yeah, the Thunder he give the Thunder less than ten percent chance of winning the game, and then he and Ben Cutting. Steered them home against yeah. against the Heat. Um, it's pretty ordinary bowling, but <laughs> great great left arm that? quick can yeah. um, bowl in the death, can bowl in the power surge, can open up. Um, yeah, just a great player to have. Jai Richardson, tournaments leading wicket taker, I believe. I have to check my stats. If he's not, he's very close to the top. Um, it's great to see him back from injury, firing, bowling fast, bowling aggressive. Um, yeah, like I thought he should have made the test squad, but he probably wasn't going to get into the into the starting frame. Um, mm. So I'm glad that he's um, he made the uh, the T20 squad, and he's probably going to be uh, one of the primary wicket takers for the Australian side. Yeah, um, Adam Zampa. I don't think there's much more needs to be said about Zamps. He's yeah, Zorba's Zorba's done really well this year. He's one. He's turned himself into one of the premier white ball bowlers in the world. Um, and, yep, has, hasn't missed a beat since being in the Big Bash. Bowled really well. Um, bowls with a, a great dot ball percentage as well. Um, yeah, which is interesting for a, a spinner. Um, and Maxwell has been happy to use him bowling at the death or in the power surge because he's trusting how well Zampa is bowling to be able to do that with only two fielders out or when they're going after you. So um, yeah. he's a guy that can keep it tight as well as bowl aggressive. Um, bit of blast from the past. I've got Peter Siddle. In this side, oh the banana man! He's taken a, a fair stack of wickets for a very good striker side. But one of the reasons I got him in is just because he's dot ball percentage. He's a guy that you oh, can throw the yeah. ball to to keep it tight. He's developed a really good lo- control of line and length, and just makes it hard to go for runs. So he's a guy that I wouldn't mind having. You know, he's again a guy that I'd be planning to bowl at the death um, alongside uh, probably Jai or Dan Christian. Um, picked up a stack of wickets, been bowling really well. And the last one on my spot on my list is Tanvir Sanger, um, 18-year-old coming in, bold leg spin for the Thunder. He was leading the wicket-taking uh, wicket takers for quite a while through there. I think he ended up finishing third or fourth. Really great from a first-year player. Looks like he's got a lot about him, um, and I'm really happy to see that. Uh, they followed my lead and they've picked him in the Australian squad. <laughs> uh, and then, so I suppose it won't be completed. We didn't put in um, some super subs, so I think Jack Wildermuth would be my super sub of the tournament. Um, he's a guy that can hit the long ball when he's in form, um, and they've used him to bowl up front with the new ball. Gets it to swing. Just a bit of everything sort of player that you can bring in when. Yeah. Whenever you need to, and then I thought with an out-and-out batsman in case I needed one because there's plenty of bowling options, and I went with Colin Munro, who has had a really good tournament for the Scorchers. I think he's 400 plus runs, a couple of 50s in there, I think three or four 50s. So I think he unlucky not to get into the final squad for mine, into the run-on side. But uh, I think yeah, he'd be my other X factor play. Well, I'd only make one change. And unfortunately, I take out Sanger and replace him with Rashid Khan. I, my heart says Rashid Khan. Sanger's bowled so well for such a young guy, but Rashid Khan thinks people out. 
Like, it's he's so good oh, at what he does. He was the T20 player of the decade, so there's no And he only him. played for five years. Mm. So that's how good he is. If Khan yeah. played the full tournament, I would yeah. have went with Rashid yeah. Khan. But the fact that he didn't is what tipped the scales to me. And the fact that I think Sanger's a, just a, he's a good story. And he, he bowls at a fairly good economy rate, considering he's a young leggy, yeah. um, which is hard to do. Uh, there's a lot of... You know, a lot of leggies that need to really practice their craft before they can balance the the aggressiveness of leg spin into actually bowling yeah. defensively yeah. as well. And and Sanger is already sort of in that mould where he can actually bowl a line that's tight as well as a wicket taking line. So, yeah, good to see that we're thinking along. Yeah, very, very, very along the same lines. It's good. Uh, all right, so I think that does our Big Bash wrap. Before we go and move on to our next one, though, we did have a Supercoach League going this year. Yeah, I did I did actually beat both you and Glenn, so I don't care. Was that all you beat this year? No, I to burn. <laughs> I, I, I had a really rough year. Every time I'd pick my captain, he'd score two. And then, oh, I don't know. But for my first year actually doing Supercoach properly... I'm 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 a bit chuffed. Yeah, I, I think I've done quite well. Well, I'll. Uh, Glenn also struggled with picking the right captain, and he also struggled with the uh, players doing well immediately after you trade them out. He was many a text chain bitching about, uh, yeah. you know, I just traded this guy out, now he's going really awesome. So you know, he's learning the super coach curse quite well. <laughs> uh, so some final figures: Dominant O'Houlihan, which was Glenn's team, finished with an uh, overall score of eight thousand three hundred sixty, which was good for thirteen thousand three hundred eighty second overall. Uh, the Wonky Donkeys, which was your side, yeah, uh, seven thousand six hundred and thirty three points, which was good for twenty four thousand eight hundred eighty fourth overall. It's not too bad. Um, and my one, which is a bounce back because I had a really poor year last year, I got Rogue Squadron, got 9,702 points, which was good for 964th overall. So heading into the finals, so obviously we still play the finals, which will help your overall score. Heading into the finals, I made the top 1,000 heading into the finals, so I'm pretty chuffed with that. It's, I think, the second time that that's happened for me that I finished the season in the top Top thousand, so yeah, it's not too bad. Good. I'll come for you next year, though. Eh? <laughs> I struggled to pick the right captain. Uh, I had a couple. I think twice. Twice I hit the money where I got. Uh, where I was like, yes, that was the guy that I definitely should have picked as captain. One of them was Jai Richardson when he took four wickets, ended up with one hundred and seventy-seven points, and then um, I had him as captain as well. So three hundred and sixty-eight points or something like that. He ended I think up I on. actually had him as captain that day. Um, so that 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 one saved my bacon because I wasn't doing it particularly well for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, I, everyone else scored three. I stumbled late. <laughs> I brought in Carey for the last two rounds because I thought well, that Adelaide Oval is an absolute road, so surely he's going to go off. No, and he didn't. And then I had a coin flip between um, Nisa and Lynn for the last round as well, and I went Nisa. You should have went Lynn. Because I thought, if he picks up a couple of wickets, you know, all you got to do is pick up two wickets in this one, and he's got 40 points, and then he gets a bit of a bat. And then Lynn went and scored, what, 60-odd, and ended up with yeah. nearly 100 points. I was like, damn it. Uh, but, yeah, it's been a good good year. We'll be back again do it next year. Yeah. Learned quite a few things from this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, we've got the NRL one coming up, so... Oh, yeah. I'm all over that. 
All right, well, that'll do us for Big Bash stuff. Can't wait for the finals. I'm hoping for a Thunder victory. You putting your money behind anyone? Yeah, the Thunder. Thunder? Yeah. All the way. All the way. Green at heart, mate. Green at heart. <laughs> is that so? Your heart saying Thunder? Is your brain saying anything different? My brain says different stuff, yes. What does your brain say? <sighs> Scorches. Uh, unfortunately, I they're on an upward trajectory. Like they, 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 oh, they need something bad to happen. That's what I feel. Heart says thunder. Um, Scorches are doing really well, but it'll depend on the availabilities of Mitchell Stark, because the Sixers have got Lion and Stark to come back into that side. They've already welcomed Abbott back in. Yeah, um, and they've welcomed Enriquez mm. back in. He's had a really strong start since then. Yeah, if they uh, if Stark decides that, yep, I'm going to get some cricket on my belt before heading to South Africa and comes and plays in the Big Bash finals, watch out. They could skittle opponents if Stark is bowls well. If he bowls well, that that's yeah. I think that's the thing that they've been really lacking over the last couple of rounds, where they've they've they've, they've stumbled is. Um, taking wickets with a new ball. They're letting the openers set a platform, especially the last couple of games, they've let the openers set a platform and they've had to claw their way back into games and they haven't really done it. The the Thunder put on 235 and for most of the Hurricanes game, um, the last game they played, they were, um, I think they are going at 10 runs and over for in that game. So they've got, if they get some wickets with a new ball, which is obviously something that Abbott and, um, and Stark can bring, I can see them knocking teams over in, yeah. in a hurry. So yeah, that my um, if Mitchell Stark plays for the Sixers, I reckon the Sixers go back to back. If they don't, I reckon the, the Thunder have got enough to get them home. I'm a bit disappointed. Sam's is not going to be there because he he put them where they basically are. Has he been ruled out for the finals? Yeah, has he? he's gone. Mm-hmm. Well, they've got Brendan Doggett. I don't know how that guy hasn't played all tournament. He has been. Fantastic for them since he's come into the side. All right, well, that'll do us for that. And right after this, we'll have a chat about the T20 and Test squads. Leg stump, that'll do it. What a wonderful shot to bring it up on as well. What a moment for Michael Clark. Not just as a player, but as a captain here on his home ground. So today, Australia announced the uh, the squads for the T20 Tour of New Zealand and the Test Tour of South Africa. This is the first time that I can remember that we have sent our squads to two different places yeah. at the same time, yep. um, which is obviously a byproduct of the COVID-19 environment. We've got to fit uh, more games in and we've got less time available. We've got to play catch-up and all that sort of stuff. And as we said before earlier in the podcast, I think this is a fantastic opportunity, especially for players with aspirations of getting into the World Cup squad because the test stars aren't going to be in the T20 squad. So all your Smith, Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood, Warner, those guys aren't aren't going. So we'll start with the T20 squad. Uh, So Aaron Finch, despite having a horrendous Big Bash campaign, is... um, is the captain. Uh, Matthew Wade has been dropped from the test squad and he'll be assuming the role of vice-captain for the... I like that. I like that as well. Um, I'm sad to see Wade not getting another go in test cricket, but, you know, it's been two summers where he hasn't scored a 50. 
Uh, the way that he got himself out in some of those innings was just not what we want in the middle order. Um, and and I think that uh, our T20 side could use with some leadership, um, which is something that Matthew Wade will, will, will give. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Ashton Agar is brought back. Jason Berendorf makes a side. Mitchell Marsh, Glenn Maxwell, Ben McDermott, Riley Meredith, Josh Phillippe, uh, both Kane and Jai Richardson make the squad. Daniel Sams, Tanvir Sanger, Marcus Stoinis, Darcy Short, Ashton Turner, AJ Ty, and Adam Zampa. Anything stand out to you from that squad? Uh, the only thing that I don't like about it is Zampa and Sanger. Because I know what's going to happen. They're not going to pick two spinners going into a 2020 game. They're going to pick one, and it's going to be Zampa. So I, I, I really hope they give Sanger a run. There's five T20s, and Australia is showing that they're happy to to uh, to mix things up a bit. You might be some slow, low decks where they might utilise the all-rounders and go for the two lead spinners. Yeah, so. yeah but you've also got someone, because you're not going to leave out Maxwell, who can turn the ball. Um, Agar is probably in there for more for being a batsman than a bowler. Yeah, he's a bit of a more of an all-rounder. Um, um, I'd be inclined to leave out um, Mitchell Marshall entirely. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have picked... Especially, <laughs> we don't particularly like Mitchell Marsh, but especially seeing as he's injured himself in the bat, big bash and he wasn't bowling towards the end. So yeah. hopefully he recovers enough. But I don't see how Mitchell Marsh makes this side exclusively as a batsman. He'd have yeah. to be a... Uh, be bowling as well and you know he hasn't really done he hasn't bowled since before the IPL because yeah. he, he was missed the IPL through injury as well he bowled so, two balls and went off so. Um, so I think it's a big call bringing him into the squad um, especially knowing that Mitchell Marsh at full strength will walk into your limited overs squad yeah I know. Um, that's what that's the one part of his game he is good at possibly could have been an opportunity to give someone like a, a Jack Wildermuth a go who has been playing pretty well and just let him recover I'm a bit, a bit surprised by Kane Richardson, actually. Uh, Kane Richardson has been part of the Australian short-form setup for a few yes, years now. Yes, but he hasn't done very well. Uh, the Renegades team in general hasn't done very well, but he was a leading wicket-taker in the tournament last year. Um, he's played well for ODI cricket for Australia and T20 yeah, cricket for Australia. Yeah. So uh, I think it's more, even if he wasn't playing particularly well, you'd pick him for the experience, missing guys like Cummins and Stark and yeah. those guys. You want. I think that's another reason why Berendorf, despite having a very good tournament, um, I had actually done our original plan for this segment was to give our speculation on who should be in the squad. Yeah, we weren't expecting an announcement this early, um, but with the announcement coming out today, the day of recording, we decided to scrap our speculations <laughs> and actually just talk about the squad. Um, and I had Berendorf and Ty both in the squad, and leaning towards it purely for the reason that they were experienced and had done it before, and it was yeah. important to get some experience in there. Um, I'm very happy with the Tanvi Sanger selection, as you can probably tell. Um, I don't expect him to play all five games. I barely expect him to play two, to be honest. So I, I hope I reckon, he plays at least one. I reckon he'll. I reckon he'll play one. He'll play the dead rubber game for sure. I'll give him a go. But I think it's a great, it's a great plan from Australia to get this guy in. He's had a really good year. He's was a pivotal figure in the Under 19s World Cup side. He's played at an international level before. Get him in. Have a look at him early. Even if he doesn't end up doing a, a great deal, yeah. um, it's setting him up for future success. So yeah. I think that's um, that's a really good move. Um, Ashton Turner. I was a bit surprised initially to see him in the squad, but then going back over what he's done in the uh, in the big bash, I, I think he's going to be a guy that when he comes in or bat at that 5-6 sort of position and they'll yeah. use him as a bit of a, a hard-hitting finisher to yeah. to just prop the innings up a little bit. So And he's done that job very well for 
for the Scorchers. So, uh, and he's experienced. He's uh, he's, he's captain the Scorchers. Yep. Um, he's been in the Australian setup before. So, I think it's they've sort of they've hedged their bets a little bit on bringing in new guys through. And so you know, guys like Philippi, Meredith, Sam's, McDermott, um, and they've also hedged their bets a little bit, making sure they've got a few experienced heads. You know, Berendorf, Ty, Turner. Um, to sort of fill out that squad, knowing there's going to be a bit of a uh, production deficit with yeah. the test stars being out. Well, I, I hope that I hope that most of them get a bit of a run. Some of them aren't going to. But what I like about that squad is I look at that and I could probably pick four or five different elevens yeah. that are all very good. Yeah, um, and there's a quite a few of them that don't include Aaron Finch, to be honest. Yeah, well, he's a great captain. He's a really good captain. He just he can't hit it off the square at the moment. Oh, you just know that over in New Zealand, he's going to come good. Like he'll he'll come good eventually. He, he'll get there. He'll get there. He'll turn it on. He's saving all his runs up for for this tournament. So yeah, so I'm pretty happy with that. I think the from the list that I had, I, I didn't have Mitch Marsh. I had Inglis in there. I thought Inglis deserved to go. I also entertained the idea of McDermott possibly being included as a middle-order batsman in the test side, um, which obviously hasn't happened. So I had a sort of McDermott or Inglis in the side. Um, but, yeah, I think all the regular guys you'd expect to be there are there. I think this is a really big tournament for Darcy Short. I do think so, yeah. Uh, Darcy Short has looked a million bucks at the Big Bash level, hasn't quite found his feet at the international level. So, um, yeah, he's got a lot of work to do. He's probably, you'd imagine... Going to be somewhere near the top of the order in probably most of those games, maybe. Um, he's got a he's got competition there. You got Finch, Wade, McDermott, Philippi, Stoinis, who can all theoretically open the batting, as well as Short. Yeah. So he's got to do some hard work to um, get in there, make a name for himself, nail down a spot, get into the squad. You know, he's left-handed, which helps break things up a little bit. He can bowl some handy leg. You know. Left arm wrist spin, so big, big tournament for Darcy Short. Coming off what he would consider probably a bit of a lackluster BBL, so fingers crossed for Darcy. And then I suppose we'll get into the, the test squad in yeah, South Africa. Yep, yep. So there's a lot of speculation about Tim Payne potentially losing the captaincy and all that as fall, oh, fall out of the um, Indian series, but that hasn't happened, so Tim Payne will take the reins. That Patrick Cummins, again, will be his vice-captain. Um, Sean Abbott... Alex Carey gets a call-up. Cameron Green, Marcus Harris, Josh Hazelwood, Travis Head, Moses Enriquez, Manus Labuschagne, Nathan Lyon, Michael Nisa, James Pattinson, Will Bukowski, Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, uh, Steckity, Mitch Swepson, and Dave Warner. It's an interesting uh, group of players. I don't think it's an overly surprising Not group really. of players, if we're, if we're being really honest. I think the only surprise to that one would be... Um, Probably Alex Carey. No, I don't think Carey. I think Mark Steckity is probably the most surprising one on the face of it. Um, a lot of people, you know, the fallout from social media was why wasn't um, someone like Jai Richardson included in this? Um, you look at Steckity's stats, they've been fairly impressive over three years, yeah. um, taking a stack of wickets in the low 20s. Um, and when you look at it here, Stark... Pattinson, oh sorry, Stark, Cummins, and Hazelwood are going to be your three quicks. Yep. Pattinson and Nisa are going to be the next two players they pick. Yep. So that's five bowlers. 
Sean Abbott will be the player after that. Then you've got Steckity. So you've, he's the seventh bowler. Pretty much. If we're going to take Jai Richardson, who is an excellent T20 bowler and will be pivotal in the, except for the success of that Australian side. So we could take him out of a series where he's going to have a lot of impact and bring him into a series where he will essentially sit on the bench. Even if Jai Richardson comes in, I think maybe he jumps Sean Abbott. So he'd still be your fifth option. Yeah, well, your fifth, fifth option is only going to carry the drinks anyway. Yeah, so. so... And the other thing is, Jai Richardson, one thing that concerns me is he's still not throwing the ball. He no, bowls it back in from the yeah, boundary. Yeah. I think Jai Richardson's going to have an outstanding test career by the time his career's all said and done. Maybe not as many games as he would like because he's going to be stuck behind some of the you know, guys like Cummins and, and Hazelwood for a while. But when he gets in there, it will be good. But he's just coming back from an injury, and I think giving him 20 overs or, or less over five games yeah. is a good way to rehabilitate him and get him back into the national setup as opposed to rushing him into the yeah, test squad. you don't need to do that. And if, you, if you're going to actually go and use him, so let's just say he they drop Stark and play him, and his shoulder goes halfway through a test, you're a bowler down, and then you've set Jai's career back, you know, possibly yeah. another four or five years, as opposed to maybe another two years or 18 months that he's just got to play short-form cricket before we look at him seriously if you have a look a test at, cricketer. If you have a look at most players... They, they reach maturity at, at a certain point where their body's no longer broken. Um, th- that's what we're waiting for. Yeah, well, you look at uh, Cummins. He hasn't missed a beat since no. getting it. Like, no. we used him really early. We broke him, and he took him five years to get back. But since he's been back, he hasn't even looked like... I don't think he's pulled up sore. Yeah. He yeah. probably... He almost certainly has, well, but he never acts like... He's, he's always pulled, pulled up rather handsomely, if you ask me. I suppose the other big question coming out of this is um, who bats in the middle order? So Matthew Wade was batting at five and has been dropped. Where do you go for that? So well, the obvious... So yeah. the guys on the outside looking in, we've got um, Head, Enriquez, Carey, and then Pukowski and Harris are your spare batsmen that... So, you know, I, I, Pukowski will be opening the bat as far as I'm concerned. Yep, he jumps straight back in over the top of Harris. Yep. Um, I, I think they're going to give Head another run. I don't. I, I hope not. I'd like to give Moses a go. But, um, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't see that happening, unfortunately. I'm with you. I imagine that, that what Langer is going to do is give Travis Head first crack at it which I don't think is necessarily fair on Travis Head we've dropped we did drop him for a reason there are notable technical deficiencies in his game um and is it Ravi not Ravi Shastri um Sunil Gavaskar said yeah. in the commentary that you know no one's worried as a bowler when Travis Head comes to the crease because there's many many ways you can exploit him to get him out when he gets going he's a fantastic batsman but the problem is he just keeps finding silly ways to get out and we've dropped him for those technical deficiencies. And when has he had the opportunity to work on this? Yeah. So if he goes over to South Africa and fails again because he's you know too loose outside off stump, well, then we crucify him as yeah. as the media and as the public for not. But we haven't let him go and work on it. He's just been in camp, and then he goes and plays a couple of muckerown games, a big bash, and then he's back in camp, and then yeah. he's thrown into the fire of Test cricket in South Africa, where they have a very impressive bowling attack and proudly defend their home soil and he'd be lining up to have a crack at, at at Travis Head. Talented batsman, I think he's going to have a very 
you know, a very good international career by the time it's all said and done, but we haven't given him a chance to fix any of the problems. Um, I don't actually mind the idea of giving Carey a crack at number five. Yeah, I... I know, why would we have two keepers going? Carey's batting average in Shield is only 33. Marnus Labashain was picked with a... Yeah, I know. ...with an average of 33. But Carey's career average is indicative of what he's done over the last sort of 24, 36 months. He's come a long way. And what we've seen from Alex Carey is a fighter. I mean, we've only really seen it in one-day international cricket. But he's dug Australia out of the mire in the middle order of that yeah. one-day international side quite a few times. You know, their famous innings where he got 40 or 50-odd with a broken jaw in the World Cup. He recently scored a 100 to get us over the line as well. He's a guy that when the going gets tough, Alex Carey really stands up and asks, you know, and puts his hand up to be counted. He doesn't seem to get out um, being lazy. No. Um, Kawaja was a good one for that. But so's head. He looks lazy when he gets out to a certain extent. Yeah. Where I don't think Carey does. I don't think Carey's got a much tighter technique than yeah. Travis Head. I think he's got less room to be effective as a... Or less expansive, I suppose, but he plays very technically correct shots. There are no obvious weaknesses in the way that he sets up. There's nothing really obvious to exploit. Um, and I, just, I think he, he'd be a guy that I'd be prepared to, to give a go in the middle order, which gives you know Tim Payne... You know, is definitely going to be around at least until the end of the World Test Championship window. And I would probably say he'd be around until at least next summer, which is going to be an Ashes summer. Yeah. Um, you could probably see him giving it away after that, especially if we get a win. Might ride off into the sunset, winning the Ashes, you know, retaining the Ashes in yeah. England, then winning them in Australia, uh, and then moving on. I could see that being a thing. Uh, for mine, I'm prepared as long as he's scoring runs and taking catches, Tim Payne can play as long as he likes. Yep. But I can see Tim Payne that being an option you've got um, Carey in the side if he's doing a good job in the middle order leave him in the middle order and then he just naturally takes over the gloves you then give Travis Head that you know 18 months to work on his game really tighten that up or you know you have a look at guys like Curtis Pattinson who hopefully have had an injury free run you can have another look at uh, someone in the middle order all that being said if Carey's doing a fantastic job in middle order, it doesn't necessarily have to be a middle order batsman. You could go and have a look at guys like Josh Inglis or Philippi, and Carey could just stay as a middle order batsman, and you bring a keeper in. Yeah, I suppose so. I did once see Gilchrist fielding in the outfield for Australia. Yeah, he looked really lost. He did look really lost. And he threw it and nearly hit himself on the foot. So I do remember a really, a really funny incident. He wasn't actually fielding, but he chased it from the keeper's position, dropped the gloves, ran out, picked it up, threw it in, and Ponting was standing over the, the, the stumps and then had to run like 10 or 15 metres to go and catch it. And he looked at Gilchrist and went, What? And pointed at the stumps, which he was miles from, <laughs> and then started laughing. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, I don't mind the idea of Henriques either. I think he's a guy that was never really given a fair go. He played some really good knocks over in India. His name's Moses. Too, um, so. He's been in really good form in really all forms of the game. He's had a couple of really strong shield years batting in the top four. I wouldn't mind seeing him. I'd probably bat him at six, though, and move Green up to five, I think. But it's neither here nor there. But yeah, I'd be leaning on that side. I'd be leaning towards Carey as my first choice, Henriques as my second, and Head as my third choice. Just purely because how has Head fixed the problems? He's yeah. the same player that we dropped. Yep. Um, so I don't see how we can really ask 
too much of Travis Head because you know he's the same, and you know, arguably coming up against a better bowling attack. I mean, it's not the third string yeah. Indian attack; it's a South Africa with Kagizo Rabada and those guys on their home pitches who are playing pretty well. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. So it'll be interesting to see where they go. Um, uh, I think the other question, though, does Stark... I said you weren't here for the last episode, but there was a stat that came out that Mitchell Stark, in a four-game series, his bowling average starts off in the mid-20s, which is acceptable. By game three, it's blown out to the mid-30s. Games four and five, it's high 40s and even 50s. So he's a guy that looks like he starts with a bang and then gets tired easily. Do you start Mitchell Stark in game one or do you maybe rest him for game one and then then come have him fairly strong and fresh for games two and three I'd, I'd bring Stark in for the first go rest him for the second and no, I, no if, he, he play, if he's fit he plays the second but if he bowls anything like he did here in Australia he gets carded and he has to sit on the boundary and hold a flag for the entire game <laughs> For mine, I think this is a really good opportunity to give Michael Nisa a go. Um, pace-friendly conditions, known for a little bit of swing, movement off the seam, you know, guys like Vernon Philander over in South yeah. Africa. Uh, I think, I don't think Stark is an automatic prospect anymore. That being said, I'm not going to blow up if they pick him for the first test as he is such. He does start a series very well, but I would be very aware of the fact that um, Stark isn't a guy that rallies. Doesn't you know, He's got a statistical... You know, he's shown that over a course of a series, he doesn't rally. He sort of fades, and you know, being a big, tall, left-arm fast bowler, he's thirty-one now. He's going to have all sorts of niggles. Yeah. Um. You know, it's not a, it's no way an indictment of him that you know that hard series catch up to him. And I just think this, the Stark's got two hundred fifty wickets at twenty-six. Yep. He's a Test bowler, and he's a good Test bowler. I think now it's just we need to manage Stark a little bit, you know, wrap him in cotton wool every now and then to get the most out of him for well, the rest you, of his you, career. Do you remember what they did to him in England? They left him out of the team for the first two or three games? I think they left him out for almost all of them. The, the game, he should have played the game at Headingley, yeah. the one that we lost thanks to Ben Stokes. Yeah. Um, but that was the first game that I really thought he should have played. Yep. And I think that's a really great way. Of, I mean, you've got seven fast bowlers there and they were happy to sort of rotate them around. I think Hazelwood... And, and Cummins, those guys, as long as they're fit, you play them. But that third one, look at it. If it's a fast, bouncy track, play Mitchell Stark. If it's not quite so fast and bouncy, maybe give Pattinson or Nisa a go. He's just sort of lost his control. He's, he, he reminds me a little bit of the early Mitchell Johnson. Um, Mitchell Johnson came out and he bowled fast, but it was so, so, so sporadic that it was terrible. In his latter, at the end of his career, he, he just bowled like lightning bolts. And they were spot on where they needed to be. It was the stash. The stash, the stash brought it out. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's another big, an excellent point you make, that you know, you're happy to wear a few loose overs from Stark because he's got the ability to blow teams away with the new ball and in-swing and, you know, and his bounce. But if he's not really effective... As, as we saw in that Indian series, if he's not really taking wickets, it's hard to, to go to him with the ball because he, he doesn't really have that um, that control aspect, that line and length aspect to his game. He's going to bowl you a loose one. He's going to fire some down leg. He's going to you know over pitch looking for swing. 
and he doesn't really tie the runs up. Where I suppose if you go with a guy like Nisa, who you know we've been a big advocate here at Two Slips in the Gully to getting a go, he bowls really well with the new ball, and he's really tight. So even if there's no swing, or the swing goes early, and Nisa yeah. then loses his edge, you can at least give the ball to Nisa and know that he's going to go bowl you a nice tight line of length, and that spell isn't going to go for many runs. And you guys like Hazelwood and Cummins are getting the ball to do a bit and looking good, you can at least let them go and stew on the boundary and rest for a bit without yeah. knowing that the guy that you're ringing on instead of them is going to leak Yeah, exactly. Know, 25 runs in the five-over spell that you're going to give him. Yeah. So I think that's something else. That, yeah, and I, I, like, I really like Mitchell Stark. I like what he offers to the team. I like what he brings down at eight or nine with the bat. I like that when he gets going, he's going to blow teams away. But, you know... It's going to be harder for him the older he gets bowling the style that he does to be effective for long series. So I think Stark might be one of those guys that's going to have to be a horses-for-courses style bowler Maybe. to get the most yeah. out of him. Because there's the, Australia's best team, all playing at their peak, has Mitchell Stark in it. Oh, definitely. 100%. No, no shadow of doubt. If you're going to have... 11 of Australia's current best cricketers all playing at the absolute peak of their powers. Mitchell Stark is probably the third guy that you pick. I'd probably say, Smith, yeah. Cummins, Stark. Bang. Yep. That's who you'd pick in that order. Yep. Playing at the peak of their powers. And then you'd fill out with the rest of them. Oh, we can be heroes Just for one day Well, it's been a while since we've heard that music, the uh, intro to our, our local cricket heroes, but we've got another one. I suppose we might have to drop the local moniker for this one. Gary has found a local cricket hero if you happen to be living in Western Australia, uh, but we thought that uh, this was so important and such an interesting story that we're going to we're gonna sort of co-op Jump him. Jump on for, board that one, I think. And, and bring him here. So this local cricket hero, his name is Les Everett, and he is... What he enabled a Western Australian amateur historian, and he's going on a quest through Western Australia to find Australia's lost cricket pitches. I know, but before you laugh, you really need to listen because it's quite good. Um, it's a it's a phenomenal story. Um, he's travelled. He says he's travelled thousands of kilometres, spent hundreds of hours poring over maps, newspaper archives, trolling through social media looking for. Western Australia's lost pitches, uh, and by that he means that like the places where towns used to exist, yeah. and then um, there's been an overlap there with a the cricket pitch which is no longer used, or ones that nature have have reclaimed. He actually had a really great quote that I love from reading this article: "The cricket pitches are a bit like Roman ruins; they don't disappear quickly." Yeah. Um, the article he shows is shows um, some photos of just pitches just in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of like a in the middle of woods even. Yeah. There's trees yeah. growing over it and cracks in it. Um, he said that uh, his quest began in 2019 when he went to visit his ground in Corrigan in the Wheatbelt region of WA where he played cricket in the 1970s to try and find that, that pitch again. And, and then it turned into a bit of an obsession as he researched old clubs and kept going. And ever since, he's driven across WA um, finding these concrete relics <laughs> and and sharing them on social media um, and you just notice that like small country towns all of them seem to have like every an oval country, every country town's got an oval and and he made some interesting connections to yeah. how like you know they especially in Dabby Way which is 
a mining community. So yeah. a lot of these towns will be set up in a hurry with miners coming in to, to mine you know, gold or coal or whatever it is going to be yeah. out there. And they set these towns up and they quickly know that they need some sort of recreational area for the, the small town. And it almost inevitably was either tennis courts or a cricket pitch. And so that was the social life of these towns. <laughs> and he'd go through and find them. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just really phenomenal. He says his wife goes with him sometimes, but um, he's on the road for 14 hours at a time and you know it's hard to convince that that's a particularly attractive lifestyle <laughs> so it doesn't go with him all the time um, he reckons he's found about 200 pitches that's a lot of cricket places and he thinks that he hasn't even scratched the surface of the ones that are out there so it'll be fine he thinks that there could be somewhere between 500 and 1000 disused imagine all the runs being scored on those pitches <laughs> Well, the, the hacks to cow that, yeah. <laughs> that landed up with all three stumps out of the ground. Yeah. Um, for those of you that are really interested, I really recommend going have a look. He set up an Instagram account, which is Abandoned Cricket Pitches, all one word, all lowercase. And there are some just phenomenal ones that uh, you know, that he's found or people have sent in of just these cricket pitches just in the middle of nowhere, especially out in WA where there's lots of desert out there. So just like a you know the red desert earth and then just a concrete <laughs> pitch in the middle. Um, and, and he hopes that eventually this will turn into a nationwide quest. She said it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I think when I go home, eventually, I'll um, I might go and see if I can find some of mine. <laughs> yeah. I know there's a few abandoned grounds near my house. Uh, so his plans next are to go in the nation's west, the the, the Pilbara goldfields. And the great southern regions are next on his list of places that he's going to to track down. Um, and he says lots of little communities, so there's plenty of opportunities there where you know some of them aren't being used anymore. And um, yeah, to find these these great cricket pitches. So um, yeah, might not be overly critical, but here at Two Slips in the Gully, we we love our history. As oh, we, don't we just? So um, I, I think it's great. I think it's fantastic that this guy just threw. Just a bit of nostalgia from his his own cricketing life in the seventies. Decided to go back and have a look at his old cricket pitches, which has turned into into a quest to to uncover some of our our nation's cricket history. And you know, some people might not find that disused concrete cricket wickets being that historically significant, but I think um, I disagree with them. I think I, it's a fantastic, noble quest, and I wish Mister Les Everett the best luck in the world. Finding those. Oh, don't we just? And I, I can't wait to read more about it. Like he, um, he's got such passion for it. And I bet you, when he went that first time, he went to find his old pitch. He went and stood. He faced up. He looked around and he thought, oh, "I remember. I remember smashing some guy over there." Or you never really remember getting out. But yeah. Oh, I remember getting out. <laughs> Happens too often. But I think um, we all remember those ones. And it'd have to be really eerie going somewhere which is completely abandoned because he said that that's something that's happened quite a few times over his travels is that um, like the area is abandoned. That's all that's left is a cricket pitch just literally in the middle of nowhere, which I think is just... Imagine the, what like, people in the, like a thousand years are going to come across this big concrete strip and they'll find them everywhere like Stonehenge <laughs> like what did they worship here yeah like they worshipped cricket yeah this is on the internet now so yeah it's there forever that's what it is <laughs> <laughs> alright that'll do us for another episode of Two Slips in the Gully we should all be all hands on deck 
next week. I'll have everyone back. Um, And it's a very, very special episode that we're going to be having next week. No hints what it's going to be until our next one, but uh, I encourage you all not to miss episode 63 of Two Sleeps in a Gully. Uh, That's all for us. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.